Cool. Are you expecting this morning to hear from God? I hope so. Okay, so this morning we're starting a new series. Um, uh, we're going to be looking at the, uh, the book of Ephesians uh, over the next few weeks. And the, the series is called A New You. Everyone say, A New You. Excellent. Let me read to you from Ephesians chapter 1, the first three verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Is that good? That's incredible. Amazing. Why don't we pray? Father God, we just uh, praise you and thank you that you have blessed us with with such great blessings. And I pray that over the next few weeks as we work through Ephesians, that you will reveal to us just what that really means. And I pray that you will plant that message in our hearts so that we can begin to live in the new life that you have provided for us in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, in the film A Household, Christmas came early. And I say the film A Household just for me. I got a brand new iPhone. I'm going to boast about this for a little bit. I have never had the latest phone ever. And I'm always envious, and I know you shouldn't be envious, but I'm always envious of people who have the latest phone. And if I'm honest, it's not technically the latest. There's a slightly better one that I couldn't afford, but I'm going to say it's the latest phone, the iPhone 11. So I'm very excited to, to have the latest phone. And, and, you know, it's a real experience with Apple. Those of you Apple users in the house, yes, yeah, some of you, I'm an Apple user. Definitely, I'm an evangelist for Apple Go and get yourself an iPhone, ditch the Android. It's so much better. But it's an experience from the moment it arrives and you, you have this beautiful box with a shiny wrapper on it. And it's not one of those wrappers where you have to struggle to get your way in. It's got a really nice, easy tab and it says pull here. And you open it and it, it's just, it's beautiful. And then you've got this, this gorgeous box and then you just slide off the box and it reveals the phone inside and it's got that, that shiny screen protector on it. Who peels off the screen protectors immediately? Yep, I am one of those people. I'm not hanging around. Those of you who leave it on as long as possible, weeks, months, shame on you. <laughs> but let me just run you through some of the features of my new phone. Face recognition. Who the heck needs face recognition? I can hold it up to my face and it opens. I don't need that. It's ridiculous. A liquid retina HD display, whatever that means. Stronger glass, so hopefully if I drop it, it won't break. A better camera. Hallelujah. Yes. It's got an A13 bionic chip inside it. Ooh. Not got a clue what that means. Not a clue. It must be good, though. All I'm really hoping for is a better battery life. That's all I want from my phone, if I'm honest. That's the one downfall of Apple products. So this is my current phone. I had to get an upgrade because it just drops from 100% to 10 in about five minutes. And so it's useless now as a phone to me. I think Apple plants something within phones. Once you get to the end of your contract, they give you a month, and then they, they send something via the internet, that flipping cloud, and <laughs> send something to my phone to destroy the battery life. And so I have to upgrade. So I've got this shiny new phone and it arrived on Friday and I immediately set it up and got it all ready and transferred the data from my old phone to my new phone. 
And then since that moment, it's been sat in the box. And I went away from the weekend, and it sat in the box because my number's not transferred over yet, and I don't want to carry two phones around with me, and I don't want to tell everyone my new number when I'm going to switch back to my old number. It makes no sense. So my brand new, shiny, amazing, better-than-ever phone has been sat in its box for 48 hours, and it makes me sad. Do you know that feeling of knowing that there's something there that's so much greater and better and yet you're just not using it? It's there. It's perfect. And yet it's unused. And I feel like, you'll see where I'm going now. I feel like it's a bit like our lives. It's a little bit like our lives. You see, in this letter to Ephesians, Paul describes that we have a new life. We have a new life found in Jesus, and yet sometimes we treat this new life like I've been treating my brand new phone, and we leave it there in the box unused. We know it's there, and we know how much better it is, and we know how much greater it would be for us if we were to use it, and yet we leave it in the box, and we leave it alone. Why is that? Why do we, why do, we do that? Well, maybe you think to yourself, when I'm on a journey, I'm on a journey of, of getting to the, the new version of me. It's not quite ready for me to collect and start using yet. So I'm just going to go on this journey to get there. But my Bible says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Not he has a new creation to attain to at some point in the future. But at that moment, when you accept Jesus into your life, you are a new Creation, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. We are a new creation. In that very moment when we accept Jesus into our lives, we have that brand new shiny life. And yet we leave it in the box. I think the reality is that there's a lot of us here who, who realize that there is a new life waiting for us. We realize that we are a new creation, and yet we act as though we're our old selves. We live like we're our old selves. We talk like we're our old selves, and we love like we're our old selves. But in fact, you are a new you. You're a new you. And I think sometimes we just need to remind ourselves of that fact. Say, I am a new me. Come on. So I hope and pray that over the next few weeks as we spend a bit of time looking through the book of Ephesians that we'll be reminded of the fact that we are a new version of us. We don't need to wait until we've gone on this journey to, to get there. We don't need to make our way through trials and tribulations and struggles to, to become and, and to attain to the new us. Right now, in this moment, we can start to live like the new me. Does that sound good? I hope so. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, well, you're about to get a great insight into the, the window of what your life could look like if you accepted Jesus into your life, if you consider trusting in him. Because we're going to be talking about this, this new identity, this new life, this new you that comes from the very moment you accept Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. So other than uh, an increased battery life, which I desperately need, it also comes with a much better phone, uh, a much better camera, sorry. 
Um, in fact, I was reading up on some of the stats. It's got a dual lens, the super, super one, the one that I've not quite got to, the Pro. That's got a triple lens, three cameras in one. But this one's got a dual lens, ultra wide angle lens. Those of you who've got a, an iPhone but not the latest one, you'll be able to take slow-mo videos. But this camera has slow-mo in the front-facing camera, so I can take slow-mo selfies or slofies, as apparently they're being called. Why you would want to do that, I don't know, but I can take a slofie. Is there anyone here who takes way too many pictures? I know my mother-in-law does. <laughs> you know, we take pictures, don't we? We just take so many pictures, and then we, we almost never look at them. Anyone go to a bonfire display, a firework display this past week? I know that there's people out there who will have recorded on their phones the entire display, and you know full well they are never going to watch it. And yet, for some reason, we're there watching it through a screen instead of real life. But these cameras that we've got, these cameras that we've got on our phones, they've got all these different options of, of, of photos that we can take, whether it's the, the slow-mo or the wide angle or whatever it is, and including the panoramic. And in fact, one of the scholars that I was reading up on described the book of Ephesians as a panoramic view of the Christian faith. It's this wide-angle lens view of what it means to be a Christian. In fact, another guy described it as a 30,000-foot perspective on what Jesus accomplished for us as a believer. So over the next few weeks, we're going to get this big picture view. We're going to get this bird's eye view, this panoramic view of what it means to be a Christian, of what it looks like to be the new version of you. And another guy described it as a breathtaking view of the entire Christian landscape. I'm hoping that our breath is going to be taken away as we delve in to this letter. So I think that what you can gather from these descriptions that these scholars have given to the, the book of Ephesians is that actually it has quite an important message within it. There's something in here that we need to be taking note of. These scholars aren't just giving it these grandeur titles for no reason. There's something within this letter that Paul penned to the church in Ephesus that is really important. And this book is only six chapters. That's why I like it. It's short. It's snappy. It's straight to the point. And the, the first three chapters are quite theological. And then the second three, Paul gets a bit practical in his messages, which is great. So Paul was writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. He's, he's in prison um, and he's writing to the church in Ephesus or modern day Turkey um, with the intention that it doesn't just go to them. So he opens the, the letter that he's writing to the church in Ephesus, but actually he's got the intention that it won't just hit that one church, but that actually it'll become a circular message. And they'll take this letter, they'll read it, they'll let it penetrate their soul and impact the way they live their lives, but then they'll pass it on to those around them. And this message, this letter, this important uh, information that Paul's got to to share with the, the new church will get passed around and hopefully advance the kingdom of God internationally, globally, across the world. So that's his intention when he's writing this letter. And in fact, we see it referenced in Acts that this message that Paul sends to the church in Ephesus, 
made its way far and wide. They indeed passed it around to other churches. And in fact, the church in Ephesus became this evangelistic hub, if you like, to spread the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ to impact most of Asia. So this letter that Paul wrote that he sent to this one church then became the the pinnacle and the, the driving point to help to convert most of Asia. So this letter is hugely important. And just to give you a, a little bit of context to what he was, he was kind of writing into, so he spent some time in Ephesus and, and he kind of established the church, but then he, he was a missionary. So he was going around and he was traveling and he was visiting other nations. Um, and so he was writing to encourage them because, he, you know, when you plant a church, when you, when you, when you convert someone to the faith, you, you can't just leave them alone and expect them to, to become to a place where they know everything about God. Because if you, if you find, I don't know, if you've seen someone come to Christ and they're, they're full of passion and they're full of enthusiasm and, and that's amazing. But then if you leave them to their own devices, they're just going to kind of start to slip back into their old ways. They're going to revert back to what's comfortable, to, to what's easy. And I think that's true for a lot of us, that if we're not careful, if we don't keep our eyes fixed on God, then we'll begin to kind of retract back into our old way of thinking and we'll start to do what feels a bit more comfortable and a bit easier. So Paul's writing into this um, because the, the church that was planted in Ephesus, before they came to a realization that, that Jesus was in fact the saviour, they were worshipping uh, the goddess Artemis and, uh, and they would worship this statue of, of the goddess and they would be involved in all kinds of occult and, and magic and, and all kinds of stuff like that that, that was, was not good for them. And so, so Paul was writing into that. And in fact, this goddess Artemis was, was quite an authoritative goddess in, in their eyes. They'd created this, this image of this goddess and, and they worshipped her. And they believed that if they didn't kind of achieve or attain to the standards that were set by, uh, by this faith, by this culture of worshipping uh, the goddess Artemis, that they would be punished for, for their wrongdoing. They would be uh, punished and they would be in trouble for not meeting uh, the, the needs and the requirements that were set in that faith. And so coming out of that and, and coming to a realization that actually Jesus was the savior and, and that the God who created the heavens and the earth was in fact the God. And so coming to, to that faith, what we call Christianity, they would still have had this mindset or, or this attitude of kind of feeling defensive and feeling defeated because their understanding of God's was that, that you would get punished if you didn't do what you were supposed to do, that you would be in trouble for, for not meeting kind of the, the, the levels that were set. And so actually they would have been in this kind of powerless state of existence. And I, I can't imagine what that, that feeling of oppression must have felt like for them. So Paul was writing into this situation to try and encourage them to change that mindset, to shift them from this, this feeling of, of fear and not that we shouldn't have a fear of God. Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. We absolutely need to understand the majesty of, of God and that he is all-powerful. But, but he is a loving God. Primary, his primary message is love. But these gods that they were worshipping were not gods of love. So he was trying to, trying to take them out of that mindset and introduce them to this new identity that was theirs in Christ. They were 
at that moment when they accepted Jesus into their lives, they became the new you that we're talking about. And yet, it perhaps was still in the box on the table, and they just needed to be nudged a little bit to start to unwrap it and start to take it out and experience what it was like and what it, what it could be. Eugene Peterson says that the book of Ephesians is Paul exploring the glory of God that gives the church its unique identity. You see, the church of God has a unique identity. We as Christians have a unique identity. We look different to other people, and we should look different to other people because we're filled with the the power and the presence and the love of God. And so that should make us look different to other people. And so what Paul is doing here is he's telling the people of Ephesus who who would be key in evangelizing to, to most of Asia, this is who you are. Let me just remind you, in case you've forgotten since I was last with you, this is who you are. This is how you should be living. This is what your lives should look like when you start to live in the new version of you. This is what it looks like. You see, God has gifted us with a new life. We just need to take it out of the box. We just need to take it out of the box. And so I want to live like the new me. And I don't know about you, but I hope that, that you want to live like the new you that is right there available to you. And I pray that, that any fear that might be in your life, that any uh, expectation of negativity that you, you deserve. I think there's people here that feel like they deserve bad things happening to them because that's maybe a life that they've lived. But that's what Paul was writing into. You don't deserve to be punished because our God is a God of love. And he doesn't want to bring down his fist and, and punish you for messing up. He wants to bring down his arms of love and let you know that you are loved by him. You are not punished, but you are forgiven. So I pray that any fear or worry or anxiety about this kind of fear of failure of attaining to God's standards would be gone in Jesus' name. Because let me tell you, not one of us in this room can ever attain to what God expects of us. We can never attain to that in our own strength. We need the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. We need the grace of God that was bought on the cross so that we can have that fullness of life, so that we can have the new you life that has been provided to us, that has been gifted to us by God. So don't have any anxiety. You know, I pray that all fear, anxiety will be gone in this place, that we won't feel that oppression from God because that's not who he is. That's not who he is. So I think the reason that Paul focuses around this idea of identity in this letter to the Ephesians is because he has some sense of the importance of this body of Christians, of this church, of this local community. He has an understanding that actually this local church in Ephesus is going to have a huge impact on the world. And so he, uh, he writes into their identity. He just wants to remind them, this is who you are. This is whose you are. And I want to remind you of that so you don't forget that. So you don't start to slip back into your old ways. But remember, you are a new creation. And you don't need to wait to start living like that. You can do it right now. 
But before they can do it, they just need to remember it. They need to be reminded. They need that prompting, that nudging to say, do you know what? You don't need to feel that fear anymore. You don't need to feel that anxiety anymore. You don't need to live like you used to live. You don't need to revert back to to that, that magic and that occult way of living because you can live in your new identity that is found in Jesus. You see, an identity is how you see yourself. How do you see yourself this morning? How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as as just one bad decision away from falling apart? Do you see yourself as, as, as maybe living this kind of defensive, defeated life that we've been talking about from this church in Ephesus? Do you feel the fear of, of what might be around the corner, of what might crop up in your life, of what might happen to you next? Or do you feel hope? Do you feel joy? Do you feel peace? Because it's those attributes that come with living the new life that is found in Jesus. Because he came to set us free. He came to give us life. He came to give us life in abundance, didn't he? So in the time we've got left, I just want to spend uh, a few minutes just talking about three or four points from this uh, first chapter, maybe into chapter two of Ephesians, that will help us and remind us to see ourselves in the way that God sees us. To remind us and prompt us of this, this new life that is available to us and hopefully encourage us to take it out the box. Because I believe that when we grasp hold of this truth, that we are a new creation, that we have this new life provided us to, to, by Jesus, that it will impact our everyday lives. It will impact your Monday, your Tuesday, your Wednesday. And the first point is this. Paul establishes almost immediately in chapter 1 that these new believers have a superior saviour. Everyone say superior saviour. You see, they called their old goddess Artemis saviour. They saw her as Lord over everything. But Paul is saying, no, no, no. Let me remind you of the truth that we've already spoken about. And so in Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 19, it says this. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. You see, Paul is making it abundantly clear that they may have thought they found a savior in the goddess Artemis, but they may have thought they found a savior and, and, and a lord in, in their ways of, of magic and divination of, of whatever it else that they were, they were into. But Paul is saying, here is the true God. That what you've known in the past was false. What you've known in the past was lies. And that the reality is that you will never find a savior. You will never find anyone more mighty or more powerful than Jesus Christ. In this age 
or in the age to come. There is no power, there is no dominion, there is no authority greater than the God, than the King of Kings, than the Lord of Lords. This is our God. Let me just remind you of that fact, because he is a superior saviour. He's a superior saviour. He's bigger, he's better, he's stronger, he's more powerful than any God you may have ever known. And I want us to just understand this morning that a God in our lives doesn't necessarily need to be a golden statue. Do you know, for us, sometimes things like money or, or power or relationships or status can become gods in our lives. Drink and drugs and, and all kinds of things that are, are bad to us. Anything that we put above God in our lives can become a God to us. And so this message from Paul is as relevant to us today as it was to them because anything that we think is better than God is not. Because there is no power, no dominion, no authority greater than our God. Because if you serve the God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the, the maker of the heavens and the earth, then you are secure, you're safe. Because he's reliable, he's trustworthy, he's got you. You can find rest and peace and ease in him. This rest and peace that makes no sense to us. You can find that in him. So now we have the opportunity to change our mindsets, to, to remember that actually the God that we serve is all-powerful and is almighty and is all-knowing and is all peace and, and rest and, and everything that we could possibly need. He is it. You don't need to look anymore. We've found it in Christ. So let that sink into your hearts. Let that sink into your your spirit, so that you can begin to change the way you live your life. And I think we need to be reminded of that even daily because we can be drawn back to our old selves. We can slip back into our own old ways. We can be drawn back into to old habitual temptations that try to pull us away from living in the new life that God has provided for us. You know, when we say, the best is yet to come, that phrase that, that keeps cropping up. When we say the best is yet to come, you can believe it because when you serve the God, he really does have the best for you in your future. He wants the best for you as you step forward in his truth. You can begin to expect good things in your life because we believe that God is good and that he wants that for us. And even when bad things happen, even when we come against difficult situations, that doesn't change the fact that we have a reliable and trustworthy God that we can have faith in, even in the middle of circumstances that make no sense to us. Even when we're struggling and we're battling and we're, we're confused about what's going on in our situation and in our lives, we can still hand, hand, hold strong to the truth that God is good. So Paul, in his letter, is trying to remind this church, don't forget who you are. Don't forget this new life that has been provided to you
by God. Don't leave it in the box. Don't leave it in its wrapper. Take it out. Rip that cellophane off and, and get using it. You know, over, over the course of this past 24 hours with the, at the men's conference, I think one of the messages that spoke most to me was uh, a message that Steve gave. And he gave this picture of, of, a, of a journey. And it's, uh, over here it was where I am now. And over there it was where I want to be. And we are on this journey. We are on this journey of trying to become something that we're, we're not naturally in our, you know, in our human selves, in our sinful selves. And so we're trying, to, we're trying to work our way and become better and become more like Jesus. And we're never going to get there until we, until we get to heaven, but we can go on this journey, can't we? Because when we accept that we've been given this gift from God, we become a new creation right there and then. And so we just need to start living in that life. And that life looks like a journey. But the thing that spoke to me was that actually as we go on that journey and we, we take a step forward and we take another step forward, that actually when we get somewhere in the middle and something comes against us, some devastation hits or we lose our job or we get hit with a bill that we can't afford or whatever it is that, that comes up to try to knock us off that journey, the temptation is to slip back down the road and to fall back into your old ways and to fall back into what's comfortable and what feels easy and what feels safe. But the truth is that the journey is to get from here to there. And it's much easier to get to there the further we are down the journey. So what we need to do is hold our ground. What we need to do is hold our ground. We need to stand firm. So as we start on that journey, we accept Jesus into our lives, we peel off the wrapper of this new life that's been given to us, and we begin to take steps on this journey. But then things come against us. And in that moment, it's where we need to make the conscious decision to not slip back down to our old ways. To remember that actually I am a new creation. That this thing that I'm working towards, I've already received from God, that I'm going to stand firm. I'm going to hold the ground that I've already moved forward on. I'm not going to slip back. I'm going to stand here and work through this circumstance and situation with God by the power of the Holy Spirit so that once I've come out the other side, I'm a little bit closer to my destination because I've not drifted back into my old ways. I've stood firm I've kept hold of all the truths that I've learned over time. And sure, this thing's come against me and it's tried to knock me, but I've held firm in the truth and the knowledge of Jesus Christ so that when you come out the other side of that circumstance, you can carry on on your journey. And actually, now I'm closer to that final destination because I've not allowed myself to slip back. You see, the reality is that the enemy is going to do everything in his power to stop you moving forward. He's going to do everything that he possibly can to take you right back to square one. Any fans of uh, I'm a Celebrity in the house? That's going to start soon. I think maybe even today. Is it next Sunday? I don't know. Anyway, the final challenge from memory that they face is this, this walkway where they have to basically climb this giant slip and slide to get to the top. And every few minutes, there's this pound of water and slime and stuff is thrown at them. But they need to stand firm and hold their place. 
Because if they allow all this stuff to knock them back down to the starting point, they're going to have to struggle their way back up to where they'd even got to before their trouble hit. So when those troubles come, we've got to grab on to some truth. Grab on to some brothers and sisters in Christ that can help to hold you there. They can hold you firm so that you don't slide back down to the starting point, but that you remain in that place. So once the, the barrage of trouble has, has subsided, you can carry on on that journey, but you're a little bit further ahead. You see, the devil and the enemy, he's got schemes and plans and and all kinds of temptations and lies that he's going to throw at you to get you back to where you started. But that's not the life that God's got for you. In Isaiah, it says that no weapon, no weapon formed against you will prevail. So I pray that when struggles and temptations come that, that try to stop us, from making progress on that journey to where we want to be, that we will hold our ground. That we will hold our ground. So we have a superior saviour. That's the thing that Paul's reminding the church in Ephesus about. And, And the second point is this. Much like my new iPhone, it's a free gift. This upgraded life, this new you that we're talking about, it's free. It costs you absolutely nothing. In Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's got nothing to do with you. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. We can never earn salvation. We can never earn this gift of new life this upgrade to our lives. We can never earn it. We can never do anything to achieve it. It's a gift. God's given it to you. It's free. I don't know about you, but I am glad that salvation is not earned by works, but it's a gift. It's a gift. We just need to peel off that wrapper and start living it. It's by grace and grace alone that we have salvation. And so Paul's writing to this new church and he's saying, check it out. You've been given this gift. Look how amazing your life could be if only you unwrapped this gift that God's given to you. Don't forget it's there. Don't leave it on the shelf and let it get dusty. It's there. It's yours. It's ready to go. It's plugged in. The number's already been transferred. You can start using it right now. Don't wait another second. And how do we get that gift? Because God, because God, that's why no one is excluded from this gift. It's free. It's for every single person on this planet. There is no one too poor, too rich, too black, too white. There is nothing that can stop this gift being available to you. It's available for everyone. It's right there on offer and it's free. We just need to take it. We just need to start using it. Everyone's welcome. No matter what your past, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, this gift is free and it's available to you. And then let's end here in in this final point. You see, we have a superior savior. We have this free gift of new life and all of that is found 
in Christ. Let me read to you this portion of Ephesians chapter 2 from the, the message paraphrase, starting at verse 11. But don't take any of this for granted. It was only yesterday that you outsiders to God's ways had no idea of any of this. You didn't know the first thing about the way God works. You hadn't the faintest idea of Christ. You knew nothing of that rich history of God's covenants and promises in Israel. You hadn't a clue about what God was doing in the world at large. Now, because of Christ dying that death, shedding that blood, you who were once out of it altogether are now in on everything. Because of Christ, we are in everything. You see, we believe in a God who takes us out of uh, this life of suffering and places us in a life of joy. He takes the lonely out of that place of lonely and he places them in a family, a family of believers called the church. And then reading on, verse 14, the Messiah has made, up things, has made things up between us so that we're now together on this. Both non-Jewish outsiders and Jewish insiders. He's tore down the wall we used to keep each other at a distance. He repealed the law code that had become so clogged with footprints and, and footnotes that hindered more than it helped. And then he started over. Instead of continuing with two groups separated by centuries of animosity and suspicion, he created a new kind of human being. A new you. A fresh start for everybody. Our God is a God of reconciliation. He's a God of restoration. Verse 16, Christ brought us together through his death on the cross, the cross that got us to embrace. And that was the end of the hostility. You see, Christ came and he preached peace to you outsiders and peace to us insiders and treated us as equals, so made us equals. Through him, both we share the same spirit and have equal access to the Father. There is no one closer to God than anyone else. We all have equal access. There is no one in the church at large that is more powerful than anyone else. If you need prayer for healing, you don't need the pastor to pray for you. The person sat next to you can pray for you just as well as I can. Because we all have the same power. We all have the same access to the Father. Verse 19, that's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wondering exiles. The kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here. You belong here with as much right to the name as Christian as anyone. Remember what we said a few weeks ago, if you're going to carry that title, make sure you're willing to carry out the task. But we have as much right to the name as Christian as anyone. You see, God is building a home. He's using us all irrespective of how we got here. No matter what happened in our past, he's using us all. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation, and now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, and all of us built into it. A temple in which God is quite at home. He's building his church and he's using us to do it. He's building his church and he's using us to do it. Paul was writing to the Ephesians and he knew in his spirit 
that this church, that this local community was going to have great impact on the world. And I believe that God's speaking to us this morning. That he's reminding us of this new life that we have in him. He's saying, don't forget about this new life, about this gift that I've given to you. Don't let it sit on the shelf. Don't let it collect dust. Take it out of the box and get using it, get living it, get loving it. Because it's a free gift and it's available to you right now. And he's telling us as a local church because he recognizes the importance of our destiny. He recognizes the importance of the purpose of Hope Church Lytham and the impact that we are going to have on our community. This is a timely message that he's given to us right now because we are a church that is going to have great impact. So we need to remind ourselves that we are a new creation. I am new in Christ. Ephesians 2 verse 5, even when we were dead in our, in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, we've been saved. We serve a superior savior. We have received this gift of life from God and we are new in Christ. It's all because of him. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can say. There's nothing we can try to achieve in order to earn this new life. We've got it. It's ours. It's been given to us by him. Now out of these truths, out of these realities, let's start to live that life. Let's start to live like the new you, like the new me. Today, from this moment, right here, right now, we enter our best life. Why don't we stand? Father God, we thank you for this gift called salvation. We thank you that there's nothing that we need to do to earn it, that it's free and it's available to us and it's right here, right now. And I just pray over every person in this room, whether we have been living this life for decades or whether we're new to it, that you will just use this as an opportunity to remind us that this life is there. That this life is there and it's ready to go and we don't need to wait until we're further down the journey to start living out this new life. To, to, to acknowledging the fact that we're no longer going to be under fear and anxiety of what's around the corner. That you are not a God who, who pours out punishment when we mess up. That you are a God who pours out love on your people. And so I thank you for this message that, that you're speaking to us. And I pray that you will build something up within us as a local church. That we can begin to, to step out in the truth and the authority that, that actually you've got something big planned for Hope Church Lytham. And I am excited to see what that looks like. So we praise you and thank you for your goodness. We praise you and thank you for this gift of life. We praise you and thank you for this new version of ourselves that you have prepared for us and given to us free of charge. And may we leave this place living in that new life, leaving our old lives behind. In Jesus' name.